Aspire to dream. Aspire to achieve. Aspire to lead. Aspire to forge your own path. I'm Josh Booth. On behalf of the Aspire team, I want to welcome you to Chapter 11 of Aspire, the life of an American entrepreneur with our special guest, Ambassador Edward Crawford, and our Aspire host, Thomas Kelly. Basketball to boxing, Boston marathons to golf tournaments, cross-country on motorcycles to skiing in the Alps, Ed Crawford has somehow found the time to engage in a diverse assortment of intense and expansive extracurricular activities, unrelated to business. Or are they? This is Aspire Chapter 11, Extracurriculars. We're honored to be back here with you again, Mr. Ambassador. How are you? Good morning. How are you today, Mr. Kelly? Good. Now, I've seen this list of so many, I guess we could call them extracurriculars to your career and business. It's remarkable to me. I'm going to guess that a lot of people think a very successful entrepreneur like yourself is, uh, you know the expression, a workaholic. A 24-7, you're working on the next deal. You're working on keeping your business in good shape. Did you have like 48 hours in a day? Because you've been involved in so many things, and we'd like to get into some of these. And where did you find the time? Is that all right? Can we do that? That's great, Tom. Uh, I try to be prepared when I have to face you uh, <laughs> on these gatherings, you know, which are numerous now. In these stories, some of which are fun, some of which are sidelights, many of which are unrelated to your primary businesses. But I think there are lessons here, and we'll get to those later, lessons for would-be entrepreneurs. You are a very talented athlete. Is being in great shape and being a good athlete, is that an asset for an entrepreneur? Being an athlete teaches you very quickly about winning and losing. So it has a lot to do with that. And you don't have to be a good athlete. You just have to be one that's committed, one that can play and play at the best of your ability at the right times and surround yourself with other players. Tell me this. When was the last time you played a basketball game? The last time I played a basketball game is 18 months ago. 18 months ago, and uh, pardon me for asking, how old are you? 83. You're 83 years old. You played in a full-court, yes. genuine basketball game. We played every single Sunday for four months of the year. Great players, hand-picked, and I was so excited about it. I totally sponsored. I mean, people do not know this. I sponsored the Tri-State basketball team, and the first year, I put up 10 scholarships. And we only had one or two people call us about trying out. Second year after we surprised everyone, we got used to like, at 70. The last year we had <laughs> it, they came in second in the national in Division Two, all maintaining grades, all playing. Like 70 people came from all over this country to play, from Mississippi, everyone else tried for those scholarships. I was so excited with the fact that here are 10 lives I'm affecting. You had to make the grades. Let's say it was nine years. That's 90 individuals that went through that, and it's one of the nicest things I've ever done. And when I went off to Ireland, that broke up the game. But I'm coming back. Not only have you been on a, a Class A basketball player your whole life, you're engaged in, in many other sports and athletic activities your entire life. You were a boxer. You were a serious boxer. You fought in the Golden Gloves, right? Well, three years in a row in, in Cleveland. I, I, when you, you talk about events, I, I want to talk about one I think is, is quite interesting. And it is, 
We were at the Cleveland Athletic Club. Remember how beautiful that place was? I played basketball. Yes, and they used to have great boxing matches there. Yeah, they, exactly. But I, I was down there, play, I played basketball five days a week at the Cleveland Athletic Club for 20 years. Wow. And I was, we were at their bar one night with a bunch of group of people, and I said, why don't we run in the uh, Boston Marathon? So we started talking about the Boston Marathon. I got 21 people to show up. I said, if you do not show up to, to run in the race, you owe us $100. Everyone agreed to it. So you ran in the Boston Marathon. Yeah. You finished in the Boston Marathon. Yes. And now, okay, you were a good athlete. You were in good shape. But you didn't train hard like most of them do to run in the Boston Marathon. You just went out there and ran it. But exactly how it happened. I didn't want to take any time away from basketball. And, and there's more. There's more on this athletic list. You're a pretty good golfer. It's in the hole. I can be a pretty good golfer. Uh, I, I've never really spent a lot of time in, in golf. It takes a long time. In building a business, I did not have the time. Number one, I wasn't a member of any of the country clubs. Let's just start there. Didn't have time. Well, I didn't have time, but I didn't have access to those clubs, the Pepper Pikes and the Early clubs on. And in my career. Today, yeah. they'll put, send a limo to yeah. pick you up. Huh? Well, it's different today. I love the game, but you know, for, for me to be able to go, go out there at 11 o'clock and have lunch and play four, four and a half hours and have a beer, I mean, that's six, seven days. That's a lot of time for me to do it. So right. it, never fit in, it never fit in. And I never got the workout that I wanted to get out of it. Right, Not it's not golf. as strenuous a workout, but it's a, it's a good walk in the park. Well, it's it's a it's it's hell of a good game. It's hard to repeat that swing very often, but uh, I've been, I enjoyed watching some golf. I, uh, a founding member of the Ronald McDonald tournament this mm -hmm. fall. It's in his forty second year. Right, I was one of the founding members. He put up five thousand dollars to buy the first hole when Mike Clegg said to me, "I, I we need to raise ninety thousand dollars so so we can get Arnold Palmer to come and play." I said, "Well." You know, what's 18 times five? I said, there's the money. Let's go get people in 5,000 is a bargain, I think. So I, I got a, gave him a check. And before we left to Fort Lauderdale, we had five people. And that's in its 42nd year. And it it's raised, a sellout every single year. Raised tens of millions for yeah, charity. Absolutely. Ronald McDonald has been one of my areas where I've been able to help that particular effort for many years. It's all good. You are an expert motorcycle rider. And to me, it takes serious athleticism to ride a motorcycle at high levels. Is that right? Well, I've never not had a Harley Davidson since I was in high school. <laughs> My first Harley Davidson when I was in the uh, 11th grade. I've always loved motorcycles. Three times in my life with friends, we've rid ridden from Cleveland, Ohio to California. And uh, cross, country, cross country, straight through, straight through every 50 miles or 80 miles. You have a little town that has a, a barbershop, has uh -huh. pickup trucks, all with dogs and guns and a bar uh -huh. and a little grocery store. You know, I, that is I, interesting. Yeah. I thought it's just one big cornfield. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I've been a member of two motorcycle gangs. My most recent gang was the Falcons. We had 14 members, and one of the members you would know who's a charming, wonderful, successful man, Tom Cousineau. Tom Cousineau, sure, yeah. the football player. That's exactly. All Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Doug Porter. And Cleveland Browns. Andy Stover, all, all really successful. And that's the group in the Falcons? You were a member of a motorcycle gang long ago, and we talked about this briefly at the groundbreaking for the Ambassador Crawford School 
at Kent State, and I brought it up then, and you mentioned you were in a gang, and I kind of made a joke about it. You said, and I said, oh, hey, it wasn't really a gang, was it? And you said, oh, yeah, it was a gang. Would you tell us a little more about that? Because I think it's so interesting. This was a serious motorcycle gang. How did you get into that? And it's what was still, it all about? It's still a serious motorcycle gang. Uh-huh. There, we, some members are not with us any longer, but there's a, a certain spirit. If you use the word gang. You no, know, uh, gang has very serious connotations. Well, that's what exists when you have a, a group of 14 people that love motorcycles and really believe that you can commit emotionally and mentally to, to people. If you're a motorcycle person, you might get a kick out of this story. We got the gang and we were our trip for the, the year was we we're going to take the bikes up to Boston, right up through Quebec City and down to Toronto, mm-hmm. Montreal. And it was August, but it was, it was already cold up there. We had 12 bikes at the time. I was pushing them hard because I wanted to get out of that northeaster and it was getting cold and the wind was blowing you know well, i got him down the into montreal without him complaining mm-hmm. no you can't complain i'm the captain because they're all football players so they made me the captain mm-hmm. craig cassidy hopalong cassidy's son is a member uh-huh and another uh, football he, player yeah he uh legend yeah craig cassidy's got the line of all times got to montreal we pulled in his hotel and there was no drinking during the day allegedly uh-huh you know, I never drank when I was riding the bike. All of us wore helmets. So there was there's some discipline here. Pulled over in this hotel in Montreal to pull our bikes down and Craig Cassidy comes up and everyone's standing there taking their leathers off and it's we've been it's been raining and so forth. And he turns to me and he says, Captain, let me just tell you something. I didn't join the Falcons to ride a motorcycle. I joined the Falcons to drink. <laughs> And if we don't stop now, from now on, every three hours, we stop. (laughs) (laughs) Have you jumped out of a plane? Oh, yeah. Parachute? Yeah. Have you jumped off a big boat? Yeah. Where was that? Twice. Where? Okay, the most recent time? Yeah. Most recent time was six weeks ago. Six weeks ago? Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about? Six weeks ago. You asked me when it was the last time I jumped off a boat. I just jumped off the side of a boat 30 Six feet. 36 foot, like yacht? Yeah. Uh-huh. In the, in the Caribbean. Next time I, I come here, I'm going to bring you a picture of that. Please do. Yeah. So you, you, need some, you might need some validation. You're not quite settled in with that fact. Oh, I believe it. I just, <laughs> I just, it's mind boggling. So much of this stuff is, you're a skier. I don't really like skiing. And when I don't like skiing, I've never been in anything, any sport that you can get over your skis, or get over, over your ability and skiing, you get on a hill and the speed and the turning and so forth, a lot of things. Everyone I know, including my family, who are good skiers, the children particularly, Colin, you know, he broke his leg. Everyone gets breaks the leg. And skiing, you so, got out, you so, just said the, the key phrase, you get out over your skis. Yes, exactly. That's a phrase that can apply to business. Well, it's speed, downhill, it's a very dangerous thing. But my family is, a, especially Colin, who's 21, who's an excellent skier, mm-hmm. excellent skier. My but son. you're not so bad. But you, you seem kind of modest about skiing. It's not your favorite. You're a little wary of it. You've, ski, you've skied in Switzerland? Yes, in the, the real mountains. The Switzerland story has got to take a little twist in it. It was okay when we were in Switzerland skiing on the average mountains for two days. When they decided to go on the big mountain, St. Moritz, Yes, I said, well, I'll go up to level three. 
I got up to level three, and you get out, and it's beautiful. I put my skis on, and they had a lot of powders. It's hard to get through that powder, even if it, the only way you do it with speed. I skied down down for about 20 minutes, fell about 15 times. Mm-hmm. I took my skis off, and I walked down the hill. Walked the rest of the way. That's right. I said, I, That's that it. might have been smart. It was smart. <laughs> But it was a long trip, but I didn't mind that. I felt good walking down there. But, you know, everyone's so polite over there. They pull over, you okay, you okay? I said, fine, just enjoy it out for a walk. Right. Yeah, it's still a beautiful view and everything, and you're not risking your life. <laughs> okay, let's take a uh, pause here and think about this. You talk about all these athletic activities, some of which very time-consuming. Cross-country motorcycle trips several times, marathons basketball on teams with schedules with 20, 30, 40 games a year. You want a a real basketball story? Yeah. One of my fun stories. My wife Mary and I, we fell in love and going to Acapulco when we were kids, you know, so we went there often. And downtown Acapulco, it's right on the beach. There's a basketball court. Really? Starting at, in Acapulco, which was at that time, 20 years ago, very safe. Mm -hmm. 30 years. So I was maybe in my 30s at that time, 35. You go down there to play, it's winter stay on the court. Just like in Brooklyn. Just like in Brooklyn, and it's rough and tumble. They play three on three. I took Mike Clegg. He was big, strong, and he could shoot. We'd get into the basket. Mm-hmm. So went down there. First night we played, and they saw us. We won two games in a row. And then they pick up another player and a better player. I went over to I thought was the best basketball player that I had seen down there was not playing. So I went over and asked him if he'd like to play. He said yes. And then they couldn't beat us. On Saturday, they recruit all night, and they bring in three people that I'd never seen before. Mm-mm. So I got Uh-oh. the Mexican, and I got Mike and myself. We beat the other team. So he's all excited. So he comes over to me, and he says, he says, look, I've been talking to my father. He'd like you to come up to bring the team and play up in the prison, prison number one. In Mexico? In Mexico. Up in, and I have pictures of this, and I can prove it. it is, you can't make this story up. The game starts at 11 o'clock. We have to be up there at 10 o'clock. Would you like to come up and play? Okay. You know, that's, we arrived there. We go in, stand there. This is hard to believe. It is. We, we, we stand there. We come in the, to the score and there's two officers there. Two of them said, you guys go in there and take all your clothes off. You don't oh. have to take your clothes off. Oh, it's a prison. Yeah. Because they want to make sure. They got to search you. So I finally said, Jose, what's your father in here? He says, first degree murder. Oh my God. He says, but I have the Coca-Cola. He has the Coca-Cola franchise. What? The one cop says, you know what you're doing here? He says, you're going to actually go down there and play? He says, well, I said I was going to play. So if you hear a horn, you stop. Okay. Wherever you are. So we walk in like that, and I look down, and there's there's the basketball court, like a rough asphalt basketball court. You know, I don't know firsthand, because I've never served time in Mexico, but from what I understand, uh, Mexican prisons are not exactly country club prisons. They're dirty. They're so dangerous. And there you are in the middle of a Mexican prison playing basketball on a lark. This kind of thing you have to prove occasionally. I'm ready to yes. prove that if, if challenged on it. Press was there and took pictures. Jail number one, downtown Acapulco. Unbelievable. We didn't win the game, though. Maybe that's wise. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring this back. I think a would-be entrepreneur would look at all this and say, wait a second, this just doesn't fit. How could Ambassador Ed Crawford possibly 
have found the time for so much of these extracurricular activities when I would have thought he was buried in work 24-7 for years of his life to accomplish what he did. Is it possible that all these non-business activities and sports and travel have facilitated your entrepreneurial excellence? Where it fits together is what the concept of competition means and how it works over into leadership. So you can not only learn lessons from sports and other activities that apply to business and to life, you can learn strategies. Is that right? Yes. And what you say an entrepreneur at his best is not going to be focused obsessively on business 24-7 forever. He's going to gain a lot from expanding his experiences and his vision and his relations through sports, leisure, travel, other activities that all fit together to make an entrepreneur the best he can be? Is that it? Being as best as you can be can't happen in one one game or <laughs> one step in life. It's over and over and over again. The nature of an entrepreneur, it's like when I was getting involved with, with Kent, and they were thinking about naming the school. Of course, they're anxious to use the word Ambassador Crawford, which we can see why they'd be interested in that. I was interested in that because it would increase the interest in the college from around the world. The people, when they hear in, in Ireland, they hear in Belgium, there's an, an Ambassador College, Ambassador Crawford's College of Business and Entrepreneurship. What's the difference between the College of Business and College of Entrepreneurship? What is the difference? Two complete subjects. You can get an MBA, be first in your class at Wharton, and that doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur and can be an entrepreneur. You're born as an entrepreneur. You, you develop as an entrepreneur. Yes, there's a risk take. But more important, what is really at stake is can you lead? And I think you're right. I'm learning all the time, and I learned so much today, and we hardly talked about business. Back to work in Chapter 12 as the ambassador to Ireland returns home to America and picks up right where he left off. With Park, Ohio in the good hands of his son, Matt, he forms Crawford United using the same template to build a new entrepreneurial entity seeking acquisitions of troubled companies with good potential for growth and success, this time with a focus on cutting-edge companies in the modern high-tech arena. Listen to Aspire Chapter 12, High Tech and Politics. I'm Josh Booth. Thanks for listening.